0: Poya. This is Robbie. Welcome to Uncharted and Eclectic.
1: And thanks for joining us
0: again. Today's episode is brought to you by Oracle NetSuite. One of the most time-consuming and stressful activities at my last startup was pulling the monthly reports we needed to to prepare for our board meeting. You see, we were using a combination of homegrown solutions, spreadsheets, and QuickBooks and make the mistake of allowing our technology and tech stack to slow us down. Don't make the same mistake we did. Upgrade today with Oracle NetSuite. The beauty of Oracle NetSuite is that it gives you the visibility and control you need over your financials, HR, inventory, sales, and much more. Everything you need, all in one place, instantly. Join over 21,000 companies using NetSuite right now. Let their team at NetSuite show you how they'll benefit your business with a free product tour at netsuite.com scale. Schedule your free product tour right now at netsuite.com scale. Welcome back to another great episode of Uncharted and Eclectic. This is Poya, and um, we have a great guest uh, with us today, Sean Lavana. Sean, how are you?
2: I'm great, guys. I'm excited to be here. Thanks very much.
0: Yeah. So Sean, great to have you. Um, The reason I asked Sean to come on the show, um, everybody is one of the questions we've kind of frequently get asked when we're consulting or talking to customers is as you're ramping um, new reps or individual contributor hires or exec hires, like what does the initial first few months look like, whether it's the first 90 days in some cases, the first six months, and what milestones are you trying to hit? Um, and Sean recently started at SignEasy, and Robbie, on the other hand, our co-host, recently started at AgentSync. He's nearing 90 days. So we wanted to just uh, get Sean and, and Robbie's perspective on those things. But before we get there, um, Sean, one of the things we'd love to kind of kick off every episode with is uh, both a personal bio as well as a business bio. So tell us a little bit about who you are, both the personal side as well as the business side.
2: Yeah, so the least interesting part of this, we'll just knock out first. Um, so uh, born and raised central Pennsylvania. Um, and uh, what was interesting to me about that time when I learned there, um, my, my parents were this kind of split. My mom was very, um, you know, kind of conservative when it came to jobs. She was a teacher for 35 years, um, stayed in the same school for like 30 of those years. Uh, and my dad was an entrepreneur, um, small business owner. And so I saw what each of them went through and kind of their journeys. And what the other interesting part was we were in the middle of, you know, like I said, central Pennsylvania, which, you know, not a terribly populated area. And so what determined somebody that was a success from there was somebody that went um, to engineering school um, to become a doctor, to become a lawyer, right? There wasn't really this concept otherwise, even though I was the son of an entrepreneur in terms of business. Um, And so, you know, that's what uh, started my journey. I started out as a computer science major because that's what made you successful and I kind of liked computers at the time. I pretty quickly realized that I was terrible at programming um, and I I switched over um, to finance, which was the thing that I could sell my parents on that there might be a future for me, right? There's something applicable. You graduate with a degree in finance, well, then you can go into finance. Um, So uh, that's how my journey started. What, What We're pretty quickly wound up is, I wound up uh, by my junior and senior year full-time at a startup um, because I was, I'm not great with theory, but I'm really great with practical. Um, Like how can I apply something and learn from it? Um, And so, you know, that's what I got to do there. Junior and senior year, I was working with a startup right around the time I graduated, they were acquired. Um, And that's what kind of began my journey into this space.
0: I love it. It, it. That story really resonates because I'm coming from a Middle Eastern family. I'm Iranian and it's the same model. Like if, Success means being a doctor or a lawyer or an engineer. So uh, definitely understand where you're coming from. So uh, changing gears, um, and thanks for sharing that. But now that you've kind of started at Sign Easy, right, going back to kind of the purpose of this podcast, um, looking back now that you've been there a couple of months, I'd love to understand like what your initial thoughts or plan or framework was for like how you were going to kind of earn the trust of the team and, and what success meant to you. Uh, like, what was that initial plan? And frankly, now that you're looking back, like, what do you think are the important things for an exec when they start at a uh, fast growing startup they should focus on?
2: Mm. Yeah, I, I, so when I walked in, um, was a little, I'll back up real quick to the reason I was brought in. Um, Sineasy is a company that's 10 years old. They're bootstrapped. Uh, they've been growing that entire time, about 30 to 40% a year, um, fully customer funded. And one of the things that they've started to see in the, in the you know, last couple of years was they had focused on what we call like the individuals before, which is you can you as a person can go and download our app from the app store. And if you use it enough, hopefully you pay for it. Um, what they started to see was multiple people registering from the same corporate domains. And they were like, we should build a business solution for this. So they did. Uh, and they've seen that grow Exponentially faster than the individual side, right? So it's starting from nascent, but it's it's growing faster, and you know probably the next couple of years will surpass that. So what I was brought in to do was lead that part of it. Right? It's growth overall, but it's really this heavy focus on how do we take a product led strategy, um, mix it with both product led growth and sales led growth, to uh, you know to, to overall. Uh, raise the growth of the organization and and do it faster than we have before. Well, for the time being, maintain, um, you know, the bootstrap part of it. So that's why I was brought in was to lead that part. Um, and you know, what that means to me then is, uh, whereas when it was product led before anybody could download the app, um, there was a, it's, it's a much more broad appeal. Right. So, what I needed to look at pretty quickly then was when you shift over to the team side, where teams, what we call the business side, where are they having success? What's driving that success? What's opportunistic versus what is there really something there? Um, And honestly, what that meant in the first, you know, six to eight weeks at least was listening a ton, just listen and learn. And you start to formulate ideas. You might even start to socialize those ideas because you want to pretty quickly realize if you're on something or if everybody's like, no, we've done that, and that didn't work because, right? Or no, you're an absolute idiot for thinking about this because that's not even in the realm of possibilities, right? Um, and you want that feedback. It's like this constant, like, here's what I'm thinking. Does this make sense? Does it not? And as you do that, what you're really doing is you're starting to formulate a plan, right? You're, you're starting to validate. Are there areas where we see pockets of growth that are, for all intents and purposes, legit? Um, and can we go with, with, with additional effort, can we go after them harder? Can we refine our messaging around that? Um, by doing all those things, can we be considered the vendor of choice here? Um, and then you put that plan out. And so for me, what that meant was I put out a strategic plan first, which is, you know, basically, here's everything that I've learned and distilled down into what I think we should do as an organization. Um, and then it meant, you know, a lot of times that's, disconnected then from an operational plan which is more okay here's specifically how we're going to go do all those things and so what I did was put out that plan socialized it a lot took a lot of feedback from it both in and out of the company um, and then broke it down into the operational plan that for now just because the time of the year is basically guiding us for the next three months the next quarter and you know the hope is just to test and learn if that if what I propose makes sense or not.
0: Love it. That's really, really helpful. And, and thanks for validating. The thing I love about that and, and Robbie and I were kind of talking about this is the, the part that you brought up um, initially about like, Hey, the first initial six to eight weeks, I just wanted to listen. Like that's the outcome you actually were going for, which is different than sometimes what makes sense for every company. Right. So I'll, I'll get back to that and why I share that, but Robbie, I'm going to go to you. You recently started AgentSync. Inc. Uh, congrats again. Uh, you're about to hit 90 days what do you, like, what's been your experience and how's it maybe different or similar to what Sean said?
1: Yeah. Um, maybe I should even listen some more here in uh, here in Sean's reminder. Um, so, it, you know, it's every time uh, I've, I've come into a new role in my career, the couple different startups I've worked for, the first 90 days, I feel like I've been a little bit sharper and a little bit sharper on kind of what, Is actually important to focus on. And I think at the end of the day, um, there's so much that you're intaking. It's kind of about stripping it down to just like the kind of the building blocks, the essentials, like what are the things that really matter. So in my case, uh, you know, my role is a VP of sales role. Our company raised like a, a $10 $10 million seed round in July. So obviously the focus is on, is, is on growth. Um, and so what that meant for us was hiring. Um, and so we, we brought in four new sales reps into the team, which is, so a lot of it was enablement focus. And the other part is actually showing, you know, showing the way. And so in, in the case of sales, it's actually like you know, working deals end to end yourself and closing those deals and bringing in customers in and kind of like, I kind of like to describe it as walking into the jungle with a machete and pouring concrete behind you as you go by right like you're kind of pouring a nice path for everybody to walk walk by behind you um and it's it's cool to hear sean's perspective too because i think there are some like nuances and differences from a like a venture-backed first 90 days and what you might call like a bootstrapped first 90 days now sign easy is a company that's been doing this very well for a long time um but uh, i think one thing i would be interested in from sean's perspective is um having experience both in like a venture-backed and a bootstrapped environment how that changes like the first 90 days just in terms of like where your focus is, where you feel like you need to be more or less aggressive. Um, Cause I think it's, you know, it's pretty straightforward when you've got, um, you know, VC money basically in terms of what you need to go do. Uh, and that's, you know, that's put numbers on the board. Um, and it's not to say that you don't have to do that uh, in, a, in an environment where, you know, you're bootstrapped but um, maybe the approach is a little different. So Sean, I'd love to get your perspective on that.
2: Yeah, I, th- I think there's something to that. I think there's something to what you're saying there um, where you know, the, the one consistent I would say is that that first amount of time, whatever that is, 60 or 90 days, whatever you want to say, it's invaluable uh, to, to actually spend that time learning regardless, because otherwise you're going to start to do a lot of things that might have been done before that might not work. Um, and look, take that collective knowledge and formulate your ideas, especially as a leader in these organizations. Um, I think you're right specifically, though, because typically by the time somebody's gone through fundraising they've kind of identified, they should know by that point or have a pretty good clue of, we just need to go harder in these areas or we have, you know, we ran all these numbers during our fundraise and here's what we're seeing, here's what we need to focus on and if we can do these things well, uh, then then we see no reason why that growth won't continue. I think the difference is, and this might be less about um, fundraising per se, but also just company size is um, at the bootstrap stage, Uh, It's a lot more, you know, it depends where you're at in terms of revenue. Um, I think, you know, I don't know, I tend to, this is my gut, but anywhere as you get closer to 10 million ARR, uh, they tend to understand who buys from them and why. It's a rough guess. That could be 8 million, right? But as you get lower, especially down below 5 million, it's uh, basically we're being opportunistic. And so a lot of times when you walk into that, it's like, we have to find who buys from us, why, understand the motivations understand if it's opportunistic, if it was friends and family stuff, or if there's really something that we can push on here. And so a lot of that starts with like just testing and experimenting quickly, um, diving into data and analyzing that to understand what the possibilities are before you press on the growth pedal. Whereas I think when you walk into, I'm interested in your feedback on this, Robbie, when my experience has been when you walk into a, uh, a, something that's VC or PE backed, it's very much more, we know what we're doing, we need you to do these things, go do them so that we can grow as fast as we expect to grow.
1: Yeah, it's a good call out. I think that, um, you know, I think that that's typically been the case, but it's also stage dependent where, you know, we're, we're a seed stage business. We're at about, we're now over 2 million ARR, certainly like still dialing in exactly um, what that repeatable customer like sales motion looks like. Um, and ours is a little bit different where our deal sizes are, are quite a bit, quite a bit bigger. And it's more of like an enterprise motion. But um, I think at the same time too, like VC, it seems um, to be as competitive as as it's ever been from a VC perspective. Like there, there, there's a lot of money out there and you kind of hear this consistent theme of like, there aren't enough founders for as much kind of venture capital as there is. Uh, there's more, yeah. you know, quali- there's more venture capital than there are like quality founders. So I do think that there are situations where companies are getting a lot of money before Knowing a lot of those things that you're alluding to, and that that can be that can be sometimes fatal uh, if you don't if you don't have like good leadership in place to kind of steer that um, when you kind of sign up for you know results and and maybe don't have that like repeatable motion down or have a team of people who have experience going out and building that repeatable motion and know what experiments to run. Be curious on your perspective on that.
2: Yeah, I think that's accurate. I think um, if you to your point of if you don't know how to at least approach building it or if you haven't already built it, um, it can be tough to walk into that, right? Especially from a marketing standpoint, because uh, marketing or growth side of things, when you walk in, you know, you're there typically, hopefully uh, because they're like, Hey, we're ready to really step on the accelerator and go. Um, if that motion is not down, then you're going to spend a lot of time, you know, effectively spinning your wheels, like I said, trying to understand who's buying from you and why. And maybe that's why you brought in. It depends, again, to your point, at what stage are you bringing a marketer in, at what level are you bringing them in? Um, but I think that's critical is if you want them to succeed, if you want to be able to scale fast and grow, you need to understand who's buying from you and why and what that motion on the sales side looks like. Um, if you're looking to better understand that stuff, that's, that's totally okay, too. Uh, you just need to understand who you're hiring then uh, at what level and what their skills are that, because it can get frustrating. If you're used to saying I come in to step on the gas and grow organizations and I'm used to growing organizations of, you know, from 60% a year to hundred percent a year um, up to a hundred million, whatever I'm making up a lot of numbers right now. But if that's what you're used to, and then you say, I'm going to flip back and go to a $2 million uh, seed stage or pre pre-funded company. Um, and, Really try to help them grow by that amount. It's going to be, it's just totally different most times. Um, So I think you need to understand, you know, where you are as an organization, and then who do you need to complement that in order to facilitate your growth
0: wisely said, uh, both of you, Sean, as well as Robbie, I, I'd be interested to get actually both your perspectives. How does this flip around? So I think we've been talking a lot about from the perspective of like a leader or an exec, right? Someone that's kind of putting the plan together. They have to listen. They have to learn. They have to validate. They have to kind of uh, demonstrate and explain where we're headed. Um, I'd be curious to know how this changes if, let's say, you are an individual contributor. Like going back to maybe the days, Sean, if you want to take this and then we can go to Robbie. Uh like, what do you think are some of the most important things to do? And the reason I asked that question is obviously a lot of people are either starting a job or they're interviewing for a job and they have to kind of think about those things. What do you think if someone was starting on your team, you would want them to kind of do to give you the confidence that you've hired the right people?
2: Yeah, I would say I in Robbie's take on this as well, because I think it's going to be different. Again, different types of organizations. Um, I look for, even when I'm hiring somebody, I look to try to assess for somebody that's a learner, right? Somebody that just has like an insatiable curiosity that wants to learn. And then what that means is it doesn't kind of really matter when they come in, you know, they're going to have their job duties, but they should be hungry to solve problems, to learn, to apply their knowledge. Um, so I look for somebody that's going to take that time to get that context early, but then also try to make an impact. And those two things, um, shouldn't be mutually exclusive, right? You should be able to learn, but while you're doing that, try some things out, right? Jump in, try something, see the effects of it, and then repeat that process to learn some more while you're learning more holistically about the organization. Um, I think that's kind of what I see, you know, if you're starting in like an operational role, I think that's one of the things that's critical to me is to say, I'm coming in, I'm going to learn, but I also have some ideas that I want to try to see what happens with. Um, I think, I think that's what I, I tend to look for early on.
1: Yeah. And I, it's thinking about like the sales roles that I had early in my career as an individual contributor. Um, sales is kind of a funny one where I think a lot of times, you know, in the, in the early early on in the journey, like you're sort of told to put the blinders on, you know, almost like a, like a racehorse and just like go in a straight line as fast as you can at the target. Right. Which is like your, your ramp goal. And then eventually like your, you know, your ramped quota. So there is like a part of, um, I think there's sort of like a part of sales that that prescribes like do nothing other than just like focus on ramping and getting to your number, like the rest will take care of itself. And I think that there's a little bit of truth to that. You know, what I've found the the best salespeople I've had the opportunity to work with at Zenefits and Flexport and, and now AgentSync is um, – they typically go find the person who's the absolute best in the organization at selling um, and they hitch their wagon to them and they learn what's making them so great. And um, you know, they build a relationship with that top performer. They try to sit next to them. If they can, they study their process. They read their emails. They understand like what they're doing. That's a little bit different than everybody else. And then they replicate that early on to get the fundamentals right. And then once they've, they've kind of got the foundation set of like, what are, what are the, you know, the base level things you need, to do as a salesperson to be really effective here, they start to like layer on their own sort of like personality on top of that. Um, And that's, you know, that's kind of where you start to see really great salespeople blossom. So uh, I think it's it's a tough one in sales because you, you know, the, the common knowledge is keep your binders on a little bit, but there is some truth in that. Or the very best salespeople kind of replicate what's already working, get to a place where they're kind of repeatable and then start to expand their scope out and bring more creativity and personality into their sales process.
2: I think that's like any skill though, right? Like, so you can jump in and you can play the numbers game where you're like, hey, I need to make this many calls today. And if I, I know if I do that, I'm gonna get this many meetings and right, like you can play that game, but you're not gonna really understand why that's happening. Uh, Either you're not going to understand that early on enough to really help you, or you're um, going to gain that knowledge over time and wish you would have taken the time to learn it early, right? It's like mastering any skill. If you can learn from people who are really good at it, apply what they do that works for you. And then as you master that freewheel right? I mean, it's like, you know, why the best boxers are the best boxers. They don't do what you learn early on. Like early on, keep your hands up, right? Never uh, drop your hands. But the best boxers you see a lot of times do that because they know that they've mastered that and they know what's coming and they know how to react to that. It's the same thing for any skill that you can learn. I don't know why I just went down a boxing path, but I did. But it's the same thing no matter what you do. Understand what makes people that are good at it. Why are they good at it? learn from them, absorb all that. And then add to your point, add your own layer on that. Like then you can freewheel a little bit, but you have to understand, especially in a sales role, I would assume why people react to your calls, why they're buying from you and start to facilitate uh, those kind of motions um, without just, you know, again, if you just dive in and make the calls, I think you're just going to be really missing out on um, what could help your career, what could help your, your job in that specific role later on.
1: Yeah, that's that's Sean. That's a great one, and I, I do have one follow up there. Like, couldn't agree with more with what you just said. Um, I think that the personality, the the type of person we're looking for, is an A player, right? Somebody who we've hired who who's coming in and and figures a lot of this stuff out that you just described. But if you're thinking about, you know, maybe scaling an organization um, and setting up an environment or a culture where, you know, what we're describing happens organically as far as new individual contributors coming in and having access and resources to figure out like what is already working really well. I'm curious, as you've been coming into SignEasy, like how you thought about that setting up like kind of a culture environment where what we're talking about is able to sort of thrive a little bit more organically versus expecting the people who come in to just know that right out of the bat and right out of the gate and then then go do it.
2: Yeah, that's a great point. Two things, I guess I would say, and and I think you hit on two things there. One is, for me, it's more of, you know, as you grow and you need to onboard a lot of reps, for example, at once, how do you start to standardize training um, so that it's not dependent upon one individual uh, or somebody's motivation to bring another person in a department up to speed, right? There's ways you can incentivize that so that that happens. But I think, you know, the more important part is how do you scale that part of it, right? And that's where like, you know, for example, good sales enablement, good product marketing can come into play. Um, I think the other thing that you, know, is, is the culture aspect, right? And this, this can happen like we're talking about right now within sales, this can happen cross departmentally is making sure that everybody's aligned and helping the organization move forward. So if you have a rep who um, is very uh, you know, self-centered, for example, um, he or she might not wanna take the time to help somebody else on board, especially now that we're virtual, they can't really sit next to them too easily, right? So how do you um, either appeal to the motivation that's gonna help them help others, or if it's cross departmentally, how do you align people's incentives and goal structures so that they're not gonna be competitive? So an example here is, um, sales and success should be able to work well together in some organizations that's going to be where success identifies an opportunity and brings sales back in right because they're aligned that way then you have success people who might get um, a spiff or part of the bonus structure if they identify these opportunities but sales gets a commission on closing them that tends to be more of kind of like the large um, larger size enterprise deals where there might be a bunch of different products to sell if you have that same example where success has um, uh, incentives to uh, spot and close a deal, uh, and sales uh, wants to obviously close more deals too. If it's within the, like, some of those windows where like, they're like, hey, I just closed that account six months ago. I'm going to jump back in here and just keep working that account. Sorry, success. That's going to get really competitive really quickly. So you need to align people to do the right things, including uh, helping out their teammates and pushing everybody forward to, the same, to, to where the company wants to be.
0: You, you bring up so many points and I can just go through so many things, but I, I would say that usually falls on the leadership level, right? I think it's very tough to do that from a bottoms up approach. Uh, and that's either on the Agreed. CRO or CEO, someone that kind of aligns, but you, you nailed it. You have to have very, very clear Processes and look in my earlier years, I used to hate processes, and now I'm I'm, like as I'm growing older, like I understand the purpose of them, and it's because you want to double down on the things that the as an organization we're learning and that are working, and it's the number one thing across any organization I have ever worked at that they're really bad at. It's having systems in place that clearly outline what's working so we keep repeating it, something as simple as like a meeting um, agenda and like what checklist, what things should we go through a call with a rep, right? Or with a customer, right? Like the first thing is to build report, right? The next thing is what do they know about us? The third thing is clearly outlining um, our differentiators, right? Like that's the number one thing I see across every organization that they don't do well Um, And if they build that as a foundational thing, it just makes it so much easier as you onboard reps. But a couple of things you and Robbie brought up that I just want to make sure to double down on. I think as an executive, um, it's our jobs to kind of make it easier for people to come up and onboard. And it's on the rep. Like the one thing you can't teach is that eagerness, right? It's that eagerness to like want to go learn and everything. Um, But the biggest thing I can learn that I've seen some execs and some leaders do really well when it touches upon that cultural thing, Sean, is... helping people get their first win, right? Whatever that is, it's such a huge confidence booster. And when you have confidence and momentum, it just makes it that much easier for the rep to keep going. So um, with that said, I just wanted to call those things out. This has been an absolutely amazing episode, Sean. Um, And I I can't wait to just have you back on and just to hear like, hey, based on this feedback, what maybe you want to change. But before we say our goodbyes, one of the questions that we love asking everybody, looking back at your career, whether... Um, uh, it's, you were studying finance or uh, your first job in marketing, right? Um, what do you think the older, uh, wiser Sean would tell the younger Sean?
2: You, uh, you just called yourself old and now, you know, older, right? Not old,
0: not old, um, older. Yes. Very clear. Cause you're not so even that old.
2: <laughs> I guess, I guess probably two things, right? Um, one is cliche and i i hate to say this you know we did this thing um with if you guys we were uh, before we started recording today we were talking about kids right and so when you have kids and you start to get serious about life uh and you have to do you know for example like a trust to make sure that if anything happens to you all this just deep dark stuff which is just fantastic one of the things we did as a part of that exercise my wife and i was we recorded ourselves you know they, they asked us questions and we recorded like what we would want our kids to know right and um, one of the answers i had when you know they were like well what would you what would you want your son to you know to know to do and i think this is the same answer i'd give give my younger self now which is why i'm telling the story but it's so cliche that when i said it I i like <laughs> slightly hated myself for it but it's to take bigger risks earlier right and it sounds easy in practice, right? Because you're like, oh, you're 23, nothing's holding you down, just go take a risk. But you're like, yeah, but I also don't have money and I have debt and right? like, I just need a day job to pay off everything that I, uh, you know, to pay my bills right now. But I think the one thing that is lost at that time, and you're always looking back from like a position, hopefully of more comfort, right? But um, as I've become older, I've, I've become more risk tolerant to some extent, which is kind of like the inverse, I would think, Um, but my lifestyle hasn't. My lifestyle has actually become much less risk tolerant, right, and that's just just what happens. Um, So I think when you look back, you're like, wow, I wish I would've, if I wanted to take the shot at doing something on my own, then if I wanted to move somewhere else, whatever that might mean to you, like that is the best time to do it. Um, I mentioned I was a, a finance major. And one of the things we got to do I went to Syracuse one of the things we got to do was uh, go on the floor of the New York Stock Exchange and kind of see all of um, you know work with all the um, the brokers and the specialists there and you know just kind of follow them around for a day which is pretty cool um, at least when that stuff used to matter um, but I with the year I was graduating it was it was in a recession and you know somebody asked a, a specialist they were like what advice would you give me if I wanted to get in this field and the guy like point blank without even thinking was like, uh, I would go take a gap year, travel somewhere because at least then you have a good story when you come back, right? Um, And I think that's right. Like take those risks, whether it's traveling, whether it's um, trying something on your own early because it just gets harder later on. Um, You know, and I I think we've talked about this earlier where I felt um, pressured to go into finance because it was a compromise of not being an engineer, right? It was like still kind of that same vein you know, but I, I wish I would have probably, I took some entrepreneurial classes. I wish I would have done more there. That said, you learn a lot of that stuff on, you know, as, as you get into this world. Um, and then probably just relax and have more fun, right? I said I worked at a startup so I could have applicability when I was at uh, in school. But, you know, you, you get serious, you get caught up in that stuff. That's not a bad thing. That can be a really good driver for later in life, but know when to let that down and just relax for a little bit too. Um, celebrate wins, maybe would be a better way to think about that. So, yeah. Hopefully that helps. It's all cliche. <laughs>
0: it's not, it's not cliche because you added the context and it's really important. And there's a lot of people out there, uh, whether they're looking for their next job, we actually have a lot of listeners in their twenties and their thirties. And, um, it's kind of funny. I always do like this reflection every couple of years and I look back, like, what do I regret, you know? And it's not that it's a regret, but that's probably one of them. Like, I wish I had done the things in my mind that I told myself and my inner voice that I would want to do. So if anything, it actually resonates. And the number one answer we get on this podcast to that question is exactly what you just brought up, which is, hey, I wish I had acted sooner on X, right? So, so I'm uh, not
2: adding any anything anything new there then. no. But, uh,
0: hope the context helps. It, the context definitely helps and it's validating and whoever's listening, if there's something that you've been telling yourself that, Hey, I'm, I'm going to do this tomorrow, or I'm going to do the, you might not have it tomorrow, you know, so just start today. And, and frankly, the rest will fall into place. So, um, Sean, I can't, I can't thank you enough. Uh, again, you, you're you been a great, um, member. I've had the opportunity to meet at Saster, but we've built a really good partnership and friendship now uh, over the last couple of months. Um, And I can't thank you enough for jumping on this podcast and providing some really good actionable insight for folks. Um, If people want to get in touch with you, what would be the best way?
2: Uh, Probably LinkedIn. Feel free to link in with me. Um, I'm obviously also on Twitter, Um, but yeah, either of those channels is probably the best if you, if you want to, I'm I'm always happy by the way to especially people that are early in their careers, at least do my best that I can to help out. I had somebody, (laughs) we didn't go into it today, but I had somebody do me, you know, a really big solid early in my career when I made that switch from engineering to business that made my parents grew really more comfortable with it. And so uh, I always try to pay that back in ways that I can. So if I can ever help anybody out with, um, you know, kind of career direction or thoughts or uh, connecting with where it might be helpful, I'm always happy to do those things. So feel free to, to link in and, um, you know, reach out.
0: Yeah, we love folks that have that pay it forward mentality. So can't, can't thank you enough. Um, and for everybody listening, if you enjoyed today's show, please like us and subscribe to us. And we will catch you on the next episode.
2: All right. Thanks, Boyer. And I appreciate the
0: conversation. Thanks, Robbie. Today's episode is brought to you by Oracle NetSuite. One of the most time-consuming and stressful activities at my last startup was pulling the monthly reports we needed to two to prepare for our board meeting. You see, we were using a combination of homegrown solutions, spreadsheets, and QuickBooks, and made the mistake of allowing our technology and tech stack to slow us down. Don't make the same mistake we did. Upgrade today with Oracle NetSuite. The beauty of Oracle NetSuite is that it gives you the visibility and control you need over your financials, HR, inventory, sales, and much more. Everything you need all in one place instantly. Join over 21,000 companies using NetSuite right now. Let their team at NetSuite show you how they'll benefit your business with a free product tour at netsuite.com scale. Schedule your free product tour right now at netsuite.com scale.